Hey, it's Ian Altman. Thanks for joining us. And especially thanks for taking the time to post your great reviews and your feedback on iTunes and other media sites. Really means a lot when I get all that kind of positive feedback. Today's guest is Susan Solovic. Now, in addition to being a New York Times bestselling author, a great keynote speaker, media personality, she's also, don't hold this against her, an attorney. And she's written four books, but her fifth book that's upcoming is called The 1% Edge, How Small Changes Guarantee Relevancy and Sustain Success. And the keys to what we're gonna be talking about today are the role of video and the advantages that small and medium businesses have over enterprise companies. You're gonna learn a ton from Susan Solovic. Susan, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So give our give our audience something that they may not know about you, something surprising that they may have not found out elsewhere. Well, you know, not very many people know this, but I was actually uh, Miss Missouri and third runner-up to Miss America. Wow. And I am so old that I was there, and most young people won't even know who this is, but I was there the last time Burt Parks ever sang, There She Is, Miss America. Oh, so, how cool is that? How cool yeah, is that? Yeah, the classic Miss America. I was uh, the last one there, third runner-up. So you can Google Burt Parks, and you can probably Google me and find out a little bit more about that. That's awesome. And so uh, let me ask you, what what was that experience like? Well, you know, honestly, it taught me a lot that I've used in business. So the funny thing is, um, it's, you know, it's like anything else in the world. You've got to be able to sell yourself. And I learned from that experience that, well, when I went, let me preface this by explaining, Missouri had never had a girl make the top 10 at Miss America. So when you arrive, the press pool sort of has like, you go to the races, you know, and you've got the win, pick, and shows, right? And yeah. then you've got the also-rans. Well, I was in the pile of also-rans. And I thought, you know what? Gee whiz, I worked hard to get here. How can they just discount me before they even know who I am? So I learned that the press has a lot of power. And I was told that you don't go talk to the press. There was a big press room there. And, you know, this was before anything was virtual or anything like that. But big press room. And I was told, do not go in there and bother anyone unless they request you. And in which case, your Atlantic City uh, chaperone will come and get you and escort you into the press room. Well, I would sneak off. <laughs> and I would go in and I would say, hi there, I'm Susan Wilson, Miss Missouri. You don't know me, but by the time we're finished talking, you'll be glad you do. That's awesome. And uh, so I would then tell him my story and why I thought I would be a good Miss America. Ended up on the front page of a number of newspapers around the country. And at the end of the two weeks of competition, um, I didn't know this. I was sequestered backstage. But uh, when the press came out with their choices, Miss Missouri was the winner. Wow. <laughs> so, you go. I realized, you know what? You got to get out there. You got to promote. You got to tell your story. And you just can't be afraid and sit back and wait for it to come to you. How cool is that? What a great story. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's like, well, you can't go in there. Yeah, watch me. Yeah, what you remember? I'm from Missouri, so you know you got to show me. Exactly, so I was, was going to yeah, say, yeah, right. it's a show me state. Of course, it's like right. <laughs> nobody puts Susan in a corner. Right? That's it's, right. <laughs> I love it. That's that's just a great story. So I want to spend some time talking about 
small, medium-sized businesses, I know really that's your expertise is in that SMB space. And before we dive into things people should be doing, what are the great misconceptions, mistakes, or kind of self-limiting beliefs that you see small businesses struggle with? I think that small businesses get started and they often get sort of this uh, deer in the headlights sort of thing. Like they're out there, they're doing things and they get paralyzed by perfection. They think they've got to, you know, have their great plan put together, all their I's dotted, their T's crossed. They got to have a bucket load of money somewhere and they get caught up in all those must haves instead of looking at the opportunities and thinking, all right, here are the opportunities. And guess what? I can make these happen even if I don't have this, quote, perceived list of must-haves. As my mother always used to say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I've heard many startups and, and companies that are trying to go, well, we can't do it because, or it won't work because, well, you know what? Those are just excuses. Go out there and get it done. Yeah. So I, I love that notion, that that concept of it's a pursuit or organizations feel they have to seek perfection because their perception is, well, these big companies must be perfect, but you and I know it isn't so. No, that's right. I mean, even the biggest companies, they stub their toe, they make mistakes, they go down the wrong path. And, and uh, the, you know, the advantage a small company has is like, hey, you know what? If I if I screw up, guess what? I can fix it quickly and move forward. I can learn from that, and I can uh, fail fast and get going again. So you know, and I think also that you know there are some things obviously you want to get right. You want to make sure that you know anything that you put out to the public um, from a marketing perspective, your website, your image, all of that that it is professional looking. It doesn't mean it has to be the most elaborate or on the best paper or, you know, the the sexiest looking materials, but it has to be professional. And I have to tell you, I just got in the mail the other day from an insurance broker who wanted my business. I've moved into a new home. And so it was a mailing and my, you know, my full name is Susan Wilson Solovic. Well, it was addressed to Wilson Susan Solovic. And I'm like, seriously? I mean, you couldn't even get the name right? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, and I want to do business with you. Why would that be? So those are the things you have to be careful about. Yeah, you know what? I, I my, my favorite is when I get the cold calls from people who are trying to sell me on sales and business development services. And they say, well, because we think we, we could really help you because most people who are speakers and authors are uncomfortable about sales and business development. And invariably, I'll say, really, well, what is it on my website that gave you that feeling? And then you hear them, you know, typing on their keyboard. Right, right. And then and then it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize you were a best-selling author on sales. Okay, right, well, right. gee, you could have searched for that before you dialed. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, I have a friend, uh, Jill Conrath, and she wrote a, uh, wrote a book on – Agile selling, and she talks. Or I think that was it. Anyway, one of her books. She talks about, you know, in today's world, you're you have to do your homework. People are crazy busy, 
And if you're going to get their time, you better know what you're talking about. And, you know, I get those same kind of solicitations. I get them from people that just makes me, it makes me laugh, particularly they, they do it on LinkedIn and they'll send me something and they'll say, oh, you know, we could get you booked on television and radio shows and, <laughs> you know, really, you know, increase your brand awareness and, and make you a, a name for yourself and all of that. And I, same thing, you know, I'm like, Hello, did you look at my profile? Let's see. I was an ABC contributor. I'm on Fox. I write, you know, why would I want to pay you? So, exactly. But this way they can take credit for the exposure you already have. Yeah, there you go. Right. So, when we've got these small to medium businesses, sometimes what I find is that the small to medium business says, oh, well, our problem is there's no way we can possibly compete against the bigger companies because you know we're a small player and they're this behemoth so we don't stand a chance what's wrong with that thinking well i think that you know the one thing that small businesses have to understand is that if they're really demonstrating their value they can provide a much deeper level of customer service they are much more flexible in their delivery you know they can say you know what you want it done in green instead of orange, the way it was designed, heck, we'll make it in green. You know, they're going to be able to do that kind of thing. When you're working with a larger company, it's very difficult for them to change. You know, they have to go through their compliance. They've got to go through their legal department. Um, You know, there are all these layers that have to go through to adjust to a customer's need. And there's a lot of value in that um, to, to deliver that kind of service to a customer. You know, I also think that um, many, many, many times the smaller customer is able to give so much more attention and provide such a higher level of overall service. I don't know about you, but the one thing I hate is when I call a company I'm doing business with and I get the automated response and I have to listen and hit the numbers and then, you know, figure out which department I want to go to and then I get on hold. You know what? I want an answer. I mean, one of the companies that I deal with regularly and I'm getting ready to change for this very thing, I literally sat on hold one day for a half an hour. And, you know, that's ridiculous. Time is money when it comes to um, people in business today. And that's just ridiculous. So a smaller company, you're not going to see that happening. They're going to be there. They're going to be on the front lines. And their top people are going to be there to service that account. Yeah. Now, you know what? I think that's great. In, In my prior business, I started a company from scratch and eventually grew the value of the business to a couple billion dollars. So I had the benefit of being a small business and being a medium business and then being what many would refer to as a larger business. And at each step along the way, we would take whatever our position was and we would make that our advantage. So as a consulting company, as a small business, we would say, look, you know, you guys have a million-dollar project, and for us, you're going to get our A players, Right. So what do you think you're going to get out of the big companies? And people say, oh, probably like, you know, someone just out of college. Exactly. So, wow, we can really help you. And then as we became a medium-sized business, we would say, look, so, you know, a smaller business is going to give you one or two people. But if all of a sudden they leave, then what have you got? And a big company, you're going to get the C-level players new. For us, we can give you those A players, but – if one person leaves, we can still meet your goals. And then when we became a larger company, we would say, well, do you really want to take a chance with one of these smaller businesses? Guess what? 
we were always selling the same fundamental <laughs> service. It's just right. we positioned it to our strength sure. in comparison to the rest of the market. And I think that's something that a lot of SMBs overlook. That nimbleness is right. really valuable. Well, and, and you know, when it comes to the B2C community, you look at, you know, a lot of small businesses are trying to compete with the, the chains. They're trying to compete even with big box stores. And you don't want to make the mistake of trying to follow them. And in particularly, you don't want to compete on price. But what you can do that's going to blow them out of the water is develop those relationships with your customers. So let's say that I own a, a boutique clothing store. You know, Sally comes into my store regularly and she sees a a, a couple of outfits that she really likes and I'm going through my notes and I'm like, oh, wow, her anniversary's coming up. Uh, give her husband a call. Hey, your wife was in. I know your anniversary's coming up. If you're looking for something, she was really interested in this. Can I get this to you? I mean, those kind of things are, are priceless and people are willing to pay a premium for that kind of service. Absolutely. I, I think that the trap that people fall into is they say, well, you know, gee, I can't possibly compete against, let's say, Amazon because right. I'm selling the exact same product. My comment to them is, well, guess what? If you're selling the exact same product, then you probably can't compete against them. But if you're right. selling an experience, if if when that client comes in and you say, oh, I'm going to get this, if you're keeping an inventory and a system and enough of a relationship where you can say, you know what, I'd love to sell you this, but – didn't I sell you something very similar a couple of months ago? You know, just check out your closet. In fact, look, I'll sell this to you today. Take it home with you. But if you, when you get home, you find that you got something very similar, just bring it back. We'll take care of you. You're not going right. to get that online. Right. And that level of care and attention is a big difference. I remember for years, I, I bought and my suits made by the same person. And I would come in and say, oh, I love this fabric. And he'd look at me and laugh and say, yeah, you already have it. I'm like, I do? He goes, yeah, <laughs> look at the back of your closet. You have almost the identical pattern. Yeah. He's like, I'll hold the swatch for you. But I'm telling you, just – and I'd, I'd get home. I'd call him up and say, yeah, I do. He goes, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> and And guess what? He built enough trust over the years that I would go to him. And in fact, I remember going to buy I – was, I was traveling to the UK and – I grew up in Southern California, and so I never really had winter gloves or appropriate oh. winter gloves for traveling. So I said, all right, well, I need to get some gloves. I'm going to be in the U.K. in December. It's going to be cold. I need some gloves. And I went to him, and we're trying all these gloves, and I have rather big hands. And he says, look, you know, the, um, you know, none of these really fit you right. I know what we need. And we're in this mall, and he walks through the mall with me to a competing store. Wow. He asked the rep, well, look, so um, yeah, this brand, this style, this and that. I put them on. I said, he said, how do those fit? I said, oh, those fit perfectly. He says, okay, great. He says, you know, here, let me just help with the transaction, takes care of the transaction, hands me the gloves and says, and if you have any problems, just come back and see me and I'll take care of it. Oh, my gosh. Well, I yeah. mean, so, so this is a guy who I'm never buying from anybody else. Right, right. Because the guy would help me buy something in another store that's what I needed. Now, that's. You know, that's something that uh, that a lot of you know big businesses are going to miss, that personalization. But guess what? The people that have the self-limiting belief who say, well, there's no way I compete, uh, there's right. no way I can compete, they're right. They can't if they keep that mindset. Well, that's exactly true. And, you know, I uh, honestly, that kind of honesty, most of the bigger companies, 
I mean, not to fault them, it's just the way they work, but, you know, people have quotas and they're pushed to make their sales and they're really more focused on that than they are on the customer. And I um, I have this new home and I needed to get uh, a couple of spots cleaned off my upstairs carpeting. And so the guy was here and I said, you know, actually, while you're here, why don't you just go ahead and, and shampoo um, my my bedroom carpeting? And so he went in and looked at it and he came back out and he said, you know, ma'am, I'll do that if you want. But he explained to me why it wasn't a good idea at that time because of the nature of the quality of the carpeting and that, you know, I need to be protective of it, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, he just walked away from business because I wanted him to do it. Yep. And I thought, you know what, this is a company I'm going to be calling again and again. Yeah, you, you refer to those people over and over. And it's one of, the, one of the things, one of the ways that I often describe this is it's your job to ensure that your clients get the results that they're looking for and that they need. Right. And if you can't deliver those results, it's your job to say, I can't help you get there. Right, right. And then it builds trust and it builds loyalty. And too often people are focused on the quick win instead of right. what's in the best interest of the client. Right, right, exactly. Let me ask you this. So if I'm a small to medium business and I want to build that relationship with people, how might I do that? I know that you've got a lot of expertise in video as well. I mean, is video a channel that people can use to kind of build that personal connection with their audience? So I love video because I happen to be a visual type person. So if I can watch something and see it, I can get it better than I can if I just read something about it online or uh, in a brochure or something like that. So I think that video gives now the way we can do it with our smartphones or our tablets or whatever, our computers. I mean, it gives small businesses an opportunity to really showcase what they can deliver without the cost that it used to be. I mean, I remember when I started in the television world, you know, we had big cameras and big equipment. And my goodness, if you wanted to go in and do like a, let's say a five minute video, I think the rule of thumb back then was like two grand a month minimum. And that was nothing. I mean, two, two grand a minute. Yeah. Well, you know, that's. 10, 10 grand right there. How many times can you do that? Today, you could sit here and do multiple videos, put them up on YouTube, embed them in your newsletters, put them on your website. They can be customer testimonials. They can be product demonstrations. I mean, honestly, I, you know, when you go to, to buy something today, most manufacturers will say to the customers, well, you know, we don't even print out all the how-to stuff anymore. Here, you can just go online and watch these videos. Yeah, I mean, that's how they do it. Um, so saves killing a lot of trees. And honestly, you know, if you've ever tried to look at those directions to put something together and it says A goes into B and you're like, wait a minute, I don't have anything that looks like that. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. You, can, you can watch it online. Absolutely. No, so the, so the video aspect. Now, one of the things that I see some organizations do is – it's not just about the CEO being on video. No. They'll take this idea of video to just about everybody who's got any frontline communication with the client so that people can actually – if it's an individual sales rep, you might have seen two or three three-minute videos that that person has has been featured in. And now when you meet them, they're almost a celebrity. So right. how, how do you accomplish something like that? Well, you know, I think it's everything today is about um, 
it's got to be in real time and it's got to be repetition, repetition, repetition. So, you know, we're bombarded with so, so many messages. So it's not like it used to be that you can put something out there and let it sit for a few months. You know, you've got to constantly be refreshing it. That's particularly true on your website. You know, content that's constantly refreshed keeps the customer coming back. So if you just put a static brochure website, ho-hum, what reason do I ever want to go back to that site? Except maybe I just wanted to check your address or something. So, you know, just constantly, like on my website, for example, we post a brand new blog post every single day. So there's a reason for people to keep coming back. Then you add social media into that and you can broadcast it even broader. You know, with what we have today, whether it's video, audio, what we're doing here, um, social media, I mean, we have the opportunity, just one little person in an office, to really even become a publishing uh, company on their own and really building a celebrity, as you said, around their brand, their product, their name, whatever, because of this vehicle that we have. I think that that's something that gets lost on a lot of organizations. I'll talk to people and they say, oh, well, we can't possibly compete against the bigger companies when it comes to creating content. And I always laugh and I say, do you realize how many layers the big company has to go through to produce something, let alone change direction? If you're a 10-person company, a 50-person company, a 100-person company, you can can change – you can take a 90-degree different direction tomorrow – Right. And basically have a 30-minute meeting about it and start moving in that, in that direction. That's a huge advantage. Totally. Well, and you know, I learned a lesson too, not too long ago. And that was my world when I was growing up and doing some corporate video work, you still wanted it to look like it was on the nightly news. I mean, it had to be that quality. And so, and like you're saying, uh, a few years ago, I did a video project for a huge client, um, I was the talent in it, so I didn't have any real say in how things got done. But same thing. I mean, major video crews and, you know, an all-day shoot for like a three-minute video. And then it took them – so that was like in September. It took them until uh, January, February, the following year, to actually roll out those three little videos. So – but, you know, if you go online now, I mean, you go on YouTube, people watch videos that can be a little blurry or they're a little funky. In fact, you know, they don't really want to see that perfectionism. They'd rather it to be real. And so I think that's what those of us who are smaller, a little bit more creative and willing to put ourselves out there, that's an advantage because it's not that, um, what I want to say, it's not that really um, arbitrary. It's not real stellar. It's not old school kind of stuff. It's new, it's innovative, exciting, and it's fresh. It's constantly fresh. And I just keep preaching that word to people today. It's real-time business today. It's not what you did yesterday or a week ago or a month ago because that's stale and it's old news. You know, it's just so well said. I think that too often, and this gets back to what you talked about early on, which is that notion of people feel like, it, they have to seek perfection, and um, and I'm curious. I'm curious your thoughts on this, which is when it comes to video. A lot of people think the most important part is the video, and I often feel that the most important part is the quality of the audio. What do you think? Right, I agree. The audio needs to be good. Um, you know, I've seen some things where 
the audio and the video is way out of sync. <laughs> and that's that's frustrating. So yes, there's some basics, just like I said before about your marketing, your professionalism. There are some things that you can't cut corners on. So I think audio is important. Um, and I think that, you know, making sure the video is at least in sync with the audio and, um, you know, not making it look like, you know, a bunch of first graders threw it together, but there is a real balance there, just a huge balance. Yep. And I know that part of what you're focused on, I know you've got your 1% edge book coming out yes. in, in January, 2018, and you've got your new podcast out, which is by the same name, 1% edge. So give us some insight into kind of a, a sneak peek under the covers of the 1% edge and what small medium businesses can learn from it. Well, I think the biggest thing to remember is, and it goes back to this being fresh, 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 but um, you know, a lot of times when we think about innovation, we think about the Ubers of the world, people who have transformed industries and been disruptive. And yet innovation really doesn't have to be disruptive. Innovation is those constant enhancements that we make on a daily basis to improve the delivery on really every aspect of our of our companies. So the 1% edge is really about those small changes that help us um, build innovation into our company's DNA. And the, the process that I've put together um, doesn't just look at the product and service because you can have the coolest, most exciting new product or service, but if you don't have the infrastructure to support that, at the same level, it's not going to be successful. So yes, we want to look at your product and service, but we also want to look at your process, your systems, your financial data. How are you reviewing your financial data uh, so that you're not looking in the rearview mirror all the time, that you're you know, really real-time uh, financial dashboards to help you make strategic decisions going forward? You know, your people, your customers, your marketing, all of those things have constantly got to be evolving in order to stay ahead of the competition. Um, if you're sitting still, if you think your business operations, the way you're doing business today, will drive you into success for tomorrow, is you're just blatantly wrong because we have seen so many brands and major brands disappear from the horizon because the um, management, the leadership became what I call fat, dumb, and happy. And they put the blinders on and they missed seeing what was going on. And they kept thinking, you know, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, my mantra is if it ain't broke today, it will be tomorrow. So you better start <laughs> thinking about it today. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's say you were a small, medium business owner today. What's the one or two things that you would tell them, look, if you want to ensure great success going forward in today's marketplace – here are the one or two things that you should focus on doing right now that can make a difference in your business over the next six to 12 months. What would you tell them? The first thing I would say to a, a growing organization is that you have to set aside uh, some time for, well, this is not my terminology, actually. The Harvard Business Review had an article on it. But you have to set aside time for mindful thoughtfulness. So, you know, you get so busy in the day-to-day -day operations of the business you know, get caught up, this is going on, that's going on. And you really don't have to the time to step back and look at what's really going on. So you've got to carve out that time to sit back and look and think and ask yourself the tough questions, the ones that 
you may not want to ask, the ones you may not want to hear the answers to, but you've got to examine them and say, you know, what do I see on the competitive horizon? What do I see with technology? What type of legislation might be impacting my business? What are, what do my people look like? Are they the right people to continue growing with the organization? You know, am I incorporating the best uh, technology and systems and process into my company to make me productive and to constantly be, you know, focused on the bottom line, not just the top line growth, because growth for growth's sake isn't always the answer. Um, I was working with a company, a very large uh, financial services company, and they've been growing by leaps and bounds. And all of a sudden, yes, the top line was growing, but the bottom line wasn't. And in fact, the it was shrinking. And so, you know, when you look at it, it was an internal operational dysfunction that was eating into the success of that company. And he had to go back in and really examine, like he had two different kind of um, technology programs, software programs that didn't talk to each other, which was then causing people to have to do redundant work. And so, you know, there was a lot going on in that company that was really preventing him from getting to the level he wanted to reach and actually impeding his success. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that you've got to be willing to ask and you've got to be open-minded. There can't be any egos. There can't be any sacred cows. You've got to move forward. You know, if you want to have the attitude, it's not invented here. It's not good. Shame on you. Great guidance, great input for people. One of the things that I think most businesses fear asking or acknowledging is, the question, well, why would these clients do business with us and why wouldn't right. they? Because they almost don't want to acknowledge there are reasons why they wouldn't do business with you. But if you can get a handle on that, then you can actually start making changes that can drive different outcomes for your customers and for your business. I agree. And, you know, another question is to ask yourself, what is my company's employment brand? You know, people, I say that word and they're like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, you have an employment brand just like you have a brand, a marketing brand. And you either have that employment brand by design or default. And you need to get a handle on what that is in order to attract and retain the best people that you need to grow your organization. So you've got to dig down and find out, do people like working here? What do they like? What don't they like? Look at the unemployed turnover. Do you have a revolving door? Are you having difficulty attracting the kind of talent that you want? Do you have a culture that is empowering and, and you know, uh, investing in people so that they can really flourish within your organization? Or do you have just a bunch of warm, warm butts in, in chairs? You know, I mean, so those are those two, you know, those people aspects are huge. Brilliant insight. So I want to make sure that our audience knows how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about what it is that you're doing and where they can go to, I doubt they can pre-order the book yet, but um, certainly they can follow you on uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and all the local ones, all the usual ones for the 1% Edge podcast. But what's the best way for people to find you online? Well, you can find me at my website, which is susansolovic.com. And that's just, my last name is spelled S-O-L-O, V as in Victor, I-C. So susansolovic.com. But if you go to susansolovic backslash new book, you will you can put your name in and we'll be sending you updates some little sneak peeks along the way about the book i'd love to have you join me there also of course social media on twitter i'm at susan solovic facebook.com backslash susan solovic um you can find me there and uh 
you know, just stay in touch. Um, if you if you come to my website and sign up for the newsletter, you'll get a free copy of Smart Marketing uh, Ideas for Small Businesses. That's a little ebook that we wrote. And if you sign up for the tips for um, the new book, you'll get the 66 Great Ideas to Build Brand Buzz. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Susan, thanks so much for sharing. We'll include all that in the show notes so people don't have to be frantically writing it down. And uh, I look forward to reading the book when it comes out. So thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And I wish everybody the, the great success and that they're able to create that competitive edge. Awesome. Thanks. Susan shared a ton of great content. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and put to work in your business right away. First, remember, when it comes to this rule of video, it's no longer $2,000 per minute. It's more like $2,000 a year for video. So make sure that you can have that visual connection with your audience and with your potential clients. Imperfect video is certainly acceptable. Remember that innovation doesn't necessarily mean transformation. And instead, you want to make sure that when you're looking to grow an organization, set aside time for that mindful thoughtfulness. Ask the tough questions, be open-minded, and know that there are no sacred cows. And think about your employment brand. It's either by design or by default, and clearly you don't want it to be by default. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the program, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.